Thank you, Dave. It's great to be sharing this morning with you. Thank you for joining us. And we're looking forward to be reading through the last part of Luke's Gospel as we finish our series this morning. The section we're reading today is from Luke 24, verses 36 to 53. And really the theme of this passage is fear transformed to joy. And maybe some of us have been feeling afraid these last weeks, these last days. And today, as we explore this passage, we find the disciples discovering the secret of how fear can be transformed into joy. And you won't be surprised to find that it orients around the person of Jesus. And particularly the way that Jesus, he's able to come into this scene, this scene where people are afraid and say to them, peace be with you. And he's able to say to them, peace be with you because of four things. And we're going to hear this morning four things about Jesus. The first is that he is alive. The second is that the scriptures, history, life, it's about him. The third is that he appoints witnesses. And the fourth is that he is ascended. He's the King of Kings. So I'm looking forward to explore this passage with you this morning. We're going to read it in four sections. And the first section is from verse 36 to 43. The disciples are in an upper room and they are talking about this growing rumour that Jesus is alive. Two people have just run into the room and said, we've been walking with Jesus. And one of them has said, I've just met him too. And now as they're talking, we dive into the story. Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. As we continue through this morning, there are some materials that have been carefully prepared by Elise and the team. Just follow the links and find those, and particularly for the children, and I think you'll find those inspiring. Well, here we are. We're with the disciples in the upper room, and these two characters have just run in, Cleopas and one other, and they're discussing together, Is could it be possibly true? And they are realizing that Jesus is alive. And as they're speaking about it, Jesus comes and stands among them and says, Peace be with you. They're afraid. They think they've seen a ghost, but he shows them his hands and his feet. I wonder why you think that he showed them his hands and his feet. Well, possibly because of the, the marks on them of 
what he'd just been through three days before. But as they talk, they realise that he's flesh and bones. He can be touched, hugged, related with, as with another person. He's alive. And as they realise this, we've read together that they respond with joy and amazement. You can see that in verse 41. Their hearts are delighted that Jesus is alive. And as they're still mulling this over, they almost can't believe it now because it just seems too good to be true. They offer Jesus some grilled fish and, and he eats it and he eats it with them. Jesus is alive and he's among them. You know, the first key to finding joy replacing fear is to realize that Jesus is alive. Jesus has conquered death. That message has been resonating all week and we've been celebrating since last Sunday through to this Sunday. Actually, that news has been resonating for 2,000 years. Jesus, he died. Jesus, on the third day, rose from the dead, conquering death. And here, on the first day of that risen life, witnesses are being amassed to the truth that Jesus is alive. And then Jesus talks to them about, well, about what the scriptures have been pointing to. If you remember last week, we were thinking about Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus as Jesus showed the scriptures to them. And now in this conversation, Jesus talks again about the scriptures and he shows the disciples, those in that room, that they are about him. The scriptures are about him, that history is about him, about Jesus, that life for joy to replace fear, for peace to come, life has to be about him too. Let's read verses 44 to 47. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus explains that the law of Moses, it's about him. It's about Jesus. Jesus points out that the prophets are about him. They're pointing to Jesus. Perhaps he refers them to Isaiah 53 or so many others of the prophetic scriptures that point towards the anointed king who would come, Jesus. The Psalms, those ancient songs, perhaps Psalm 22 came to their minds. They speak of Jesus. All of the scriptures are about him. We've got more time, many of us, these days. 
And a great thing to do is to sit down, find some corner and just spend some time exploring the Old Testament. Some of us might not have spent much time in the Old Testament, but we're having an invitation last week and this to explore the Old Testament, to realize that the old scriptures, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, they speak of Jesus. Why don't you take Isaiah 53 and read it through and see if you can spot the hints of Jesus or Psalm 22 or just take a book from the Old Testament and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see where it speaks of Jesus. I want to show you a piece of spoken word and this is actually Tim Keller um, speaking and then a graphic artist has has, um, done um, calligraphy and uh, graphics around what he's saying and what he's pointing out is that the stories of the Old Testament are all come to their completion are brought to fulfillment in Jesus. Watch this, I think you'll enjoy it. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, He's a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. (laughs) Is that a type? See, that's not typology. It's an instinct. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life, who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's, he's the real Passover lamb. He's, he's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. It's brilliant, isn't it? Because the scriptures are about him. They're about Jesus. And Jesus it describes here how Jesus opened their minds. You can see that um, there in verse 45. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And the heart of understanding the scriptures is to see that it points, they point towards Jesus. And the Holy Spirit in a person, Jesus' spirit in a person, can help them to see this wonderful truth.
And he explains that the scriptures point out how the Messiah, that's a word for anointed king, how this Messiah would suffer. Now, it's unusual for a king to suffer. But if you explore through the Old Testament, you will find all of these pointers to a king who would suffer, to one coming from God who would suffer. And how this one who suffered, you can see it in verse 46, would rise from the dead. And how this one who suffered and rose from the dead, how the message about him would be preached. And Jesus explains five things about what would be preached about him. The first is that repentance would be preached. You can see that in verse 47, repentance. Now, repentance is a, is a strange word. Um, it means really just to turn around. You're heading in one direction and you head the other. And for a person to orient their lives around the anointed King Jesus requires a change of direction. Naturally, we're looking after ourselves, our own small orbit. But if we recognize that Jesus is the anointed king, the Messiah, the king of kings, then we have to turn our life around, go in a different direction, stop living for ourselves and living for him. And that's what repentance means. It means to make a U-turn, to turn a different way. But Jesus explains that this repentance will bring forgiveness. Repentance will bring forgiveness. And we have hints of what forgiveness means. But you see, each of our hearts is stained, is marked, like it's scribbled on, or there's a mark on it that just can't be got rid of unless there's some intervention from outside. My heart is dirty, broken, scarred, marred. But because of the forgiveness that comes through the Messiah, Jesus, that dirtiness can be rubbed clean, taken away as though it was never there. So Jesus is explaining that he's going to be preached about and this message is going to be an invitation, a call to repentance, a repentance that brings forgiveness. But this forgiveness is a forgiveness that comes in his name. You know, there's no other way for the wrongness of a person's heart to be removed, to be forgiven, to be taken away. If there's a God who is there, who is clean and good, then we could never stand in his presence because our hearts aren't clean enough or good enough. We don't measure up. If we were to be given a mark, it would be just not good enough. But Forgiveness that comes from repentance, that forgiveness is in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus, he died on a cross for us, taking our place so that we could be forgiven. Taking our wrongness, taking our dirtiness, dying in our place, a sacrifice. That's the message that is being preached, that's transforming lives that Jesus is saying is going to begin to be preached from that place where they're meeting as they realize that Jesus is alive. And this message, Jesus explains, is for all nations. 
You know, it's so easy for people to become focused, just targeted on their own small world, on their own nation or their own subgroup within that nation. But this is about a message that is for all people, that is for everybody. Jesus wants our vision to be expanded and to realize this isn't for some exclusive group in some corner. This is for all nations, the whole world. Another great study is to read, perhaps read through the Psalms and just note all the references to all nations, all nations. Jesus is echoing what has been explained through the scriptures, through the Old Testament, that this message of repentance that brings forgiveness in Jesus' name is for all nations. But it starts at home and it starts in Jerusalem. You know, many of the religious people in Jerusalem, they would have looked outwards and said, look at that lot. Look at how wrong and broken that lot out there are. But not us. You know, we're all good. We're all sorted. But this message of Jesus starts at home, starts in Jerusalem. Those who think they're good, those who think they're sorted, those who think they don't, might not need a saviour, it's for them first of all. Because we all need a rescue. Jesus, you see, the scriptures are about him. And the message that brings life and transformation, it's about him. Repentance, forgiveness in his name for all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. It's about Jesus. He's alive. It's about him. And now he commissions, he appoints those who are going to be proclaiming this message. Let's read at verses 48 to 49. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus is looking around the room and in that room are those who saw him suffer. And in that room are those who are now witnesses who know that Jesus is alive. And so in verse 48 he says you are witnesses of these things. And then he says I'm going to send you and you think, okay, where have they got to go? But that's not at all what Jesus is saying. First of all, he's saying, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Jesus is saying to them, you, to be able to do this and to be able to be my witnesses, you need my promised power, a power that comes from the Father. And this power is from on high. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. And in five and a half weeks time from this conversation, Jesus is going to pour out his spirit on all of those who are calling on his name. And we can read about that in um, Acts chapter two, as he clothes them with power from on high. In fact, actually, it's five and a half weeks, that's the 40 days, and then 10 more days 
before that power from on high comes. And they have to wait for that power. You know, it's very easy for us, those who are walking with Jesus, to say, right, what needs to be done? I'm going to get on and do it. But the message here to those first disciples that's resonated on through the centuries is that actually we need to do God's work by his power. That means waiting on him, allowing him to lead us, relying on his strength and not our own. So Jesus appoints these witnesses. And finally, he ascends. Now that word doesn't just mean to go upstairs or take the lift. It means that he is lifted up to the throne, to the place of ruling, to that place where he's the name above all names. Let's read verse 51 down to verse 53. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. You know, there's a lot um, that is edited out of this short account of Luke here. And another interesting thing to do would be to grab the uh, six accounts of those days between Jesus's resurrection and his ascension. Um, You'll find them at the end of each of the Gospels in chapter one of Acts and in 1 Corinthians 15. And to um, lay them out into five columns and then put them into order. And you'll see an amazing story unfolding Luke has compressed 40 days into just a few paragraphs here, but there's more detail in other Gospels and in 1 Corinthians and in Acts as well. But Luke is picking out here for Theophilus the important points that he thinks Theophilus and we need to hear from this account. And the first is that Jesus, as he is on the cusp of returning to his throne, to that place of power and glory, he blesses his people. He blesses his people. And then you can see in verse 51, he is taken up. And in Acts chapter 1, Luke writes more detail of how the disciples are all gazing up and trying to see where he's gone and a cloud hides um, him from their sight. But repeatedly in, in that passage, it speaks of him taken up. He's taken up. He's taken into the clouds. And the followers of Jesus, well, where are they now? Before they were frightened and hiding, but now, well, their hearts are inspired to worship. They'd been catching glimpses of Jesus's glory as the story has unfolded, this historical account of Jesus's life and death and resurrection. And now as Jesus is taken up before them, they, it all comes into place. They worship him. They realize that he is the one who is God here. And instead of fear, they have joy. And they spend their time just praising God, just realizing that God has had his hand on history. God has had his hand on these last few days. 
God is working his purposes out and it's wonderful. And they praise him. Well, what an account. And it's great to be looking at this together um, this morning. As we see these disciples, their fear transformed to joy. And it, they hear Jesus say to them, peace be with you. And it's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's about the fact that Jesus is alive. It's about the fact that the scriptures, history, our lives, our message should be about him. It's about the fact that he appoints, he chooses us. He chooses you to be one who would speak of him and share that message of his death and resurrection, that invitation to repentance that brings forgiveness in his name that should be preached right here, shared right here and out to all the nations. And he, Jesus, is the name above all names who's ascended to the highest place. And these truths about Jesus transform fear, transform terror into joy. It's because of these truths that Jesus is able to say to us this morning, peace, peace be with you. And Jesus, he wants to transform our fear into joy. We're going to sing together in a moment. We're going to sing of Jesus being the one who is worthy of praise, lifted up the name above all names. But before we sing that song, let's, let's speak to him together in prayer. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can share this morning and think about these things and stand with the disciples First sharing their fear and then allowing your Holy Spirit to move us to joy. For those of us who are walking with you, who know you, we want to pray that we would be recognising that you are alive. You've conquered death. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one that history and our lives should be about. We thank you that all of the ancient scriptures point to you. They're about you. Please inspire us to explore them over these next days, to see more of who you are by meeting you, Jesus, in those ancient scriptures. Lord Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he was poured out on that 50th day, on the day of Pentecost, and that for all who call on your name, you fill them and empower them with your Holy Spirit. And we pray that during these challenging days, we wouldn't be undertaking things in our own strength, but rather we would be undertaking things in your power, led by your Holy Spirit, empowered by him, living for your glory. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are ascended to the highest place. You're the name above all names, the King of Kings, and we worship you. Some of us listening here this morning, Lord Jesus, you see our hearts. We're deeply aware of the stain and the marks on them. And this morning you've been calling us. You've been calling us to repentance, to turn around, to go a direction that is different from before, a direction where we live for your glory. 
where we seek your forgiveness, a forgiveness that only comes by your name because of your death and resurrection. Perhaps some of us in the quietness now want to respond to you, Jesus, personally and ask you for forgiveness and for new life, new life that comes in your name. We commit each other into your hands this morning and pray you would lead us as we continue to share this time now. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that joy you want us to experience, that peace you want to fill our hearts. We worship you. Worthy are you, the Lamb who was slain. Amen.